Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, and my my buddy John Palmer still on break, I guess, still on break. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, greetings, greetings, yeah, or, uh, gre- greetings, greetings. This is Palmer. <laughs> I think the family's home. He has to keep turning his microphone off there over there. Go. Yeah, unfortunately, he couldn't be in the studio today, but he's still there in spirit. Uh, today, uh, I want to thank uh, our fine sponsor, like every other show we do, is uh, John Blickman at uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. Those guys, they are making, uh, they, they, they put the, the geeky in uh, homebrew equip- equipment. And not that they're, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, you, you know, one of the things that's, that's really cool to me about uh, Blickman Engineering is that they're always thinking, you know, about how people use their equipment and what the problems people are experiencing and how to solve those problems. And I think that's what good engineering does. It's not, oh, here's something we can sell. It's here is a solution to a problem that a lot of people experience. And by providing the solution, people will have uh, an easier time of brewing. They'll have, you know, uh, you know, a better result. And, you know, because of that, people want to buy it and will make a living. And, uh, you know, they'll be happy that they spent the money. And that's one of the cool things about, about Blickman. I think, you know, they're always looking, you know, does the product, you know, solve a problem. And I, I think that's just ultimately cool. So I'm really thrilled that they're the sponsor of the show. They pay for this, so you don't have to. So make sure you, you get yourself over to BlickmanEngineering.com uh, or go down to your local homebrew shop and say, hey, you know, you got some uh, Blickman uh, gear here I can look at. I, I want to see, you know, how cool this is. You know, Jamal keeps talking about how cool it is. I want to see it for myself. There you go. You know, check out... Uh, uh, any other gear, and I think you'll be uh, surprised at uh, yeah. the quality and uh, efficiency of of the gear. So, uh, greetings, greetings. Hey, greetings, greetings. <laughs> yeah, just uh, I was out admiring my Blickman equipment. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I heard a little pst go off, and uh, you know. Yeah, hit a run downstairs. You're really admiring it to the to the extreme there. Yeah. Take a picture and all that. 
you know. All right. Uh, and uh, if you get a chance, uh, also swing by the uh, the Brewing Network store. Good stuff there. I'm wearing, uh, uh, if you got the cameras running today. No cameras today. Because I'm ugly. And that's it. Right? Well, I put on a few pounds. <laughs> you so. know, it's the bedhead, Jimmy. Yeah. I'm wearing my uh, Bruce Strong shirt, like I do for most Bruce Strong shows. Yeah. One of the uh, the arm ones. And uh, if you get yourself to the uh, Brewing Network store, you can have one too. They also got Bruce Strong hats. Yep. Bruce Strong shirts. Two different mm-hmm. styles of Bruce Strong t shirts. A couple Bruce, different colors. Bruce Strong thongs. Not yet. Not yet. In an official no pants Bruce, Bruce Strong wear? Should have some of those. <laughs> yeah. New gear coming in uh, at the end of this month, though. A lot of new gear. Cool. The store will be fully stocked. Glassware, right, t-shirts, right. everything. Well, okay. So we say, we say fully stocked. And here's the thing that happens. Yeah. People listen to this on a podcast later on, and they're like, well, you said it's fully stocked. Right. Yeah, it's fully stocked for like a week. <laughs> all right? And then, you know, everybody, the word gets out that it's fully stocked, and then everybody buys up everything, and then it's not no longer fully stocked. So... You want to, you know, take it, you know, every couple of days, go to the store and check out what's there. Because, you know, the popular stuff, it gets in stock. And then, you know, there's only so much that can, you know, outlay that can, uh, you know, buy this merchandise. So, yeah, uh, you know, there's limited quantity. So you want to get in there, get it quick. You know, don't don't delay and go, well, you know, I'm thinking about buying that shirt. Well, you can make it easy on yourself and sign up on our Twitter, too. Oh, uh, there you go. Twitter.com slash Brewing Network. I always send out an email when I put in, or, or a Twitter when we when we put in new stock. So then if you don't there feel you like go. checking the store every day, just sign up. You'll get a notification See, the day it's in. I, I never knew and, that. And uh, we've also gotten a little better at, uh, uh, because you guys have bought so much merch. Now we can stay in stock for about a month at a time. We can Ooh. get enough stock for about a month at a time. So this time I predict uh, it will be in there, but get in there. And that's what happens is I get I do get emails like you do for someone's listening to a show in two thousand seven right. and says, Hey, you're talking about this store being fully stocked. It's like the freaking you know <laughs> the Brewing Classic Styles isn't in stock. Why, you know, I want to buy Brewing Classic Styles. It's yeah. like, well, you know. That's on order too, by the way. I don't know. So, uh, all I do is forward these to Justin and go, Hey. Yeah. End of March. So this. Fully stocked. All right. So speaking of fully stocked. We got a fully stocked series of programs coming up for you here. All right. Now, we get all sorts of questions about the bottling beer, kegging beer, you know, priming rates, conditioning, when is my beer ready to to, to package? Uh, you know, it seems one of the areas that a lot of people, you know, uh, have a lot of questions on. They're they're confused. Yeah, you know, they're told, like, the basics of throw it in, you know, bottling bucket, some sugar, you know, it's always three-quarter cup or whatever, and put it in the bottles, and then it's, you know, it's right. And then they realize, you know, it's probably a little more complex than that. There's probably a few more equations I should be throwing on my priming sugar, you know, maybe it wasn't ready to, to bottle, uh, you know, what kind of pressures do I use in my keg? Once I have you know, carbonated beer in my keg, how do I bottle it? All these different things. So instead of just uh, answering, you know, one of these questions today, I thought what we do is another Ganza show. And we're calling this one the Package Gasm. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Or bottling Part 1 or Packaging Part 1. Oh, yeah, Bottling Part 1 sounds good. Yes. 
I like Package Gasm, but Balling Part One would work also. Yeah, we can't so. make a DVD of Package Gasm. That goes in a different shelf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's probably uh, some sort of warning that would be required for package gasm. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, yeah. So we want to cover bottling and kegging. You know, in, in essence, packaging. We, we when we were discussing this this series of programs, we were talking about packaging, and then I'm thinking packaging beer. People are going to thinking shipping beer or whatever. And maybe we'll get into that by True, the time yeah. we reach this. I don't know, but really, bottling and kegging beer. Putting your beer once it's finished fermenting into a container for serving and getting it carbonated properly. What are the steps in order to make that happen? And like other stuff, you may think, oh, I already know how to do this. But uh, just stay tuned here. We got uh, we got the Palmer uh, as part of this show, and he'll, <laughs> he'll, make it, he'll open your eyes to a lot of the things you need to think about in order to really get the best results. And the best results... You know, it can result in the the best beer possible. So, a lot of little little things you want to think about uh, from that aspect. Anything to add to that, uh, Mister uh, Nice and Easy? <laughs> well, no. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of. I mean, the problem with bottling is that it's just a pain in the butt. Um, mm-hmm. Most experienced home brewers move on to kegging at some point just because it's easier and we get lazy. Um, it's no longer nice and easy. Yeah. But but there are, I mean, Jamil and I can you know tell you some tips and tricks to make bottling easier, um, help help you make sense of the process. Mm-hmm. And I've got my trusty cat Shadow here to uh, fill in some of the blanks. You know, as I as you walk life. off to admire your Blickman Engineering uh, top tier yeah, system. That's right. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, this this show we're gonna we're gonna. You know, and address a lot of uh, listener questions that we've yeah. received at BruceStrong.com. Uh, we're going to talk about not BruceStrong.com. Somebody, somebody has sorry. scalped that uh, URL and uh, is holding it hostage until we pay uh, uh, thousands of dollars to uh, to get it. So it's yeah. uh, Bruce, Strong Bruce Strong at, at the Brewing, the brewing Network. Network.com. Right, right, right. right. But uh, yeah, we, we you know we do get a lot of questions on on bottling okay. and uh, want to help uh, address a lot of those. Um, a lot of frequent questions are like, uh, you know, how much of this sugar should I use? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a uh, particularly interesting question came in um, that I liked, and I, th- I think we'll address, address later in the show or maybe in, a, in, another, in another show to come as we start working through this material. But um, the question was, hey, if I'm brewing a Belgian strong ale and the recipe has like four pounds of sucrose in it, should I use sucrose for priming, or is that you know too much white sugar? All right, right. And so you know, it's a good question. We'll we'll talk about that. Okay, I'll tell you what. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, let's let's get down and dirty with uh, the package ganza or gasm. Back after this. <laughs> Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong.
from the stovetop to a camp burner to some kind of brew stand. Most homebrewers follow some version of this progression. With each move, a homebrewer will often have to change a lot, if not all, of their equipment. Until now, Blickman Engineering brings you the top-tier brewing stand, the only brewing stand that grows with you. For example, buy a top-tier floor-standing burner now, and it'll bolt right to your top-tier brewing stand when you're ready for all-grain brewing. The top-tier brewing stand is perfect for 5-gallon to 20-gallon batch sizes. Its modular design is adjustable and accommodates everything from small footprint coolers up to 30-gallon pots. How does the top-tier brewing stand do it? At its core is a strong, heat-treated, and anodized aluminum main post. On all four sides are built-in T-slots for the adjustable heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves and beefy burner tiers. The tiers accommodate any manufacturer's pots or coolers up to 21 inches in diameter. Best of all, not only does the top-tier brewing stand grow with your skills and equipment, but it easily knocks down for long-term storage or transport, too. The top-tier brewing stand from Blickman Engineering. Learn more at BlickmanEngineering.com and to find a local Blickman retailer. And start brewing from the top tier. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Catherine the Great Imperial Stout, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and happy hour all day Mondays. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. Hi. My roommate's gone for the weekend, and I'm wearing something flimsy. Listen, baby. I told her not to call me after 8. I gotta go. Who is that? Your girlfriend? Set up, thug. Did you guys get the cauldron set up on the altar of my yard? If you weren't so busy getting booty calls, you know that. All right, I'm using the scroll of Mosher to boil the first decoction. You took too long. The color is now dark and past the point where you can still call it a pilsner. Yes, sir. I hate it when Greg's the brewmaster. What's this? Poindexter Urkel? Dude, can't you see we're in the middle of a brew session? Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. (gasps) Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Do you belch White Labs 833 and crap Simcoe? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the Cylon Detecting Three-Hearted Ale and the collector's item Super Alt. Mine's in mint condition because it's still in the box. Make 10th level at northernbrewer.com. In the past year, the Brewing Network has been able to add two new shows, expand our studio capabilities and quality, and bring more beer information home to you than ever before. In no small part, this is due to subscribers like you. Thank you from all of us at the Brewing Network. Without your monthly support of any denomination, we could not bring you the very best in live beer radio like Can You Brew It? Brew Strong and the Sunday Session. Haven't signed up yet? Join your fellow brewers in the BN Army. Sign up today at thebrewingnetwork.com for a recurring donation as little as $2 a month. Besides all the great live radio you'll support, every subscriber is automatically entered in monthly raffles for amazing brew gear like a conical fur a temperature control system, or your own draft setup. Become a part of the Bee and Army today. Hilo, what's it feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two? Yeah! <laughs> 
spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. It's the Brewing Network. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. Beer. <laughs> that wasn't bad. That was, that was pretty good. We got to isolate that one. That was, that was good. Didn't even sound like you. Yeah. Well, uh, that was the good part of it. I don't know. No. It's very manly. I've got a, I've got a bullwinkle voice, too, but I'm not sure how good it is. <laughs> Only one way to find out. Go ahead. Hello, poetry lovers. Yeah, it's all right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, let's get back. Like that's, beer. Yeah, that's, I like your beer voice better. That's you after a few beers. It's, <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All this and more, all Packers. courtesy courtesy of <laughs> BlickmanEngineering.com. All right. <clears throat> yeah, we are we are talking talking about our package. Yep. We're talking about. Uh, all right. So, how do you know when your beer is ready? package that's what i was gonna say how'd you know that's what you say hey you know I, all right so i've 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 gone through fermentation and it looks like things are slowing down or have come to a stop you know i still see like a couple of bubbles every now and then uh how do i know when it's time to package it up Let, let's let's assume from from this point i'm planning on putting in a bottle and adding sugar and letting it naturally carbonate at what point do i say okay it's time to bottle and what at what point is it too late when have i waited too long a year is too late um (laughs) okay but you know yeah it's a really good question and then and this is this is where experience comes in um and guidelines Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're we're talking about an ale fermentation, um, generally you're ready to bottle within a week, maybe two weeks. I, I like to wait two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I've waited two or three months because I'm lazy. Um, lagers, you want to wait longer. I mean, the fermentation itself. To uh-huh. you want you want to be assured that fermentation is done uh, before you mm-hmm. before you bottle. All right. Um, well, and, and and I I like uh, you know uh, I, I think people want uh, you know specific signs you know why yeah. when, when is it done and um, you know what I like to say is all right uh, you know and, and for me ales are like ten days and lagers are maybe two weeks yeah. and it's and it's but you know don't hold yourself to these these time limits like. Uh, um, you know, like uh, the guys on uh, Canyon Brew it are, are being amazed because, you know, in three days, beer's done fermenting with some of these yeasts. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it's not a very specific time. It depends on gravity, depends on the yeast, depends on temperature, depends on so many factors that you can't just say, oh, you know, and this is the thing that, you know, annoys me. Right. I know the homebrew shop's trying to simplify it so people can get started. Right. But then, you know, people need to learn it isn't you know seven days and then it's ready to go or whatever it yeah. is. It's never a fixed amount. It's I, you like got to observe the activity, right? So you got to be involved in that brew. I, I wait until f- all signs of activity have stopped, and then I give it another day. 
maybe two, mm-hmm. and then I'm I'm ready to package. And yeah. I think that's kind of along what you're saying. This is going to take you know a week to, or two for an ale. This is going to take you know two weeks or so for a lager. Uh, you know, if you're pitching the right amount of healthy yeast, you know, the the only thing that worries me about my recommendation, see, this is where we get into difficulty is these recommendations. Right. So waiting for all activity to stop, what if somebody's got like a wild yeast in there or, you know, yeah. bacteria or whatever, and they see the airlock very slowly chugging along, they see some sort of foam on the surface or maybe a pellicle forming, they think, well, it's still it's active. Not- and what's happening is it'll go for a year like that, yeah, or six months, or maybe a couple of months. Yeah, you you hit on one one key uh, point that the brewer needs to think about when they're when they're looking at uh, when is the beer ready to package. And is you start with clean, healthy yeast. You know you've you've got to you've got to be confident that you've got a healthy fermentation going in. So that, you know, and that's where the guideline comes from, you know, mm-hmm. with a good, healthy fermentation, right. the beer is going to be done in three days to a week for an ale or two weeks for yep. a lager. Yeah, yeah. And so um, this, and, you know, if uh, if you're not real sure about the, you know, the health of the fermentation going in, you've got to observe that fermentation throughout its cycle. And, uh, you know, and it help, that's why it helps to have glass carboys as opposed to plastic buckets. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're really confident in your process, you don't need to look at it. But if you're not real confident in your process, it helps to look at the beer, look at the activity. Mm-hmm. You know, a fermenting batch, you know, there's, there's all kinds of turnover. I mean, it looks like you're boiling the beer inside the fermenter because it's moving so much. You mm-hmm. can see the yeast coming up and down and, you know, the airlock's going like crazy. Right. When that settles down and the airlock activity settles way down to like a bubble a minute, you know, kind of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, small activity and in the, in the, in the beer's not moving anymore. Fermentation's pretty well over. Well, and here's an interesting thing. It just happened to me. So uh, in the yeast book that uh, Chris White uh, and I worked on um, – there's a, uh, you know, it talks about uh, top cropping yeast and how a lot of the yeast, while they may be top croppers, they won't stay on top of the, the beer. Um, once fermentation's complete, they'll they'll drop down into the, you know, like other beers, other yeast, they'll all drop down into the beer and it, it doesn't stay up there forever. So one good signal of, uh, you know, fermentation being done is, the yeast have left the surface completely. The surface yeah. is still there's nothing, no yeast left on the surface. They've all dropped down to the bottom. Yeah, fermenta- yeah. good sign. Fermentation is complete. Now, yeah, there'll still be bubbles around the edges. Right. You, you'll get you'll get some you'll get some bubbles around the edges. You'll get still have a like, little mm-hmm. slimy appearance and you know some some foam kind of off right. the side, but it's not moving. You know. Well, and and here's where it gets interesting. <clears throat> so. I had to acquire a yeast from uh, Y yeast to do this uh, this uh, 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 clone of uh, black sheep beer, and black sheep uses these uh, uh, Yorkshire Square. They actually use a, a round version of a Yorkshire Square, mm-hmm. uh, you know, modernized version uh, to brew it. And they they have this yeast, and of course, it's a serious top cropper. Well, I've never used this yeast before. 
I ferment this batch of beer. And uh, <clears throat> first off, it's squirted out, you know, a good pound of yeast salt. <laughs> No. <laughs> out the top, uh-huh. out of out of a, a better the bottle, the little dry lock of the better bottle. Uh-huh. I got a pound of yeast through that little tiny little hole. I got a <laughs> pound of yeast sitting on the ground, and like no moisture, just a pound of yeast, and in a big ball. And then, uh, <clears throat> so after this this beer's done fermenting, I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking. I don't know, boy, there's still a bunch of yeast on the surface, still a bunch of yeast on the surface. I'm taking a look, I'm taking a look, and I'm like, you know, and usually I just like, oh, you know, if you don't see any yeast, I oh, yeah, thing's done. The yeast was sitting on the surface, and the thing was done fermenting like a week ago, uh-huh. <laughs> and it was still <laughs> sitting on the surface. There was still yeast sitting on the surface like a week after fermentation was done across the entire surface. I was like, no way. So, so yeast, yeah. I, I'm like... No, there's there's some sort of problem here. It's not, you know, uh, it must still be fermenting, or there's must still be CO2 evolving to hold the yeast up at the surface. Because what happens is the yeast flocculate together. They stick together, form kind of these mats or these larger chunks, and then the CO2 that's coming out in the beer, it lifts them to the surface, and they rise up to the surface and the top. Well, <clears throat> for some reason, this yeast was still on the surface at well after fermentation. So that's a very rare case. Unless you're using only a few select yeasts, I don't think you'll ever see that happen. So usually if they, the yeast have dropped to the bottom, you don't see any airlock activity, it's been about the right amount of time, you can take a hydrometer reading and things seem to have attenuated fully, then fermentation's done. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, like we said, experience. You, know, you need to know your yeast uh, look for look for the usual signs and then uh, interpret them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I think you and I we both uh, tend to eschew uh, secondary fermentation or transferring to another vessel for further fermentation unless we're doing something special like uh, dry right. hopping or fruit or you know something like that. Yeah, uh, and unfortunately, I'm I'm a perpetuator of the myth um, at howtobrew.com. Perpetuator. Yeah, <laughs> good word. Um, yeah, at howtobrew.com, I, I, that, the first version of the book, you know, um, first edition, still talks about uh, the benefits or kind of, you know, promotes the benefits of transferring the beer off the yeast. Well, and that was the, the you know, the popular way of doing things. Yeah. Then. Well, that's why, you know, you're on third edition, fourth edition now. Third, yeah, still on third, but you know. you know, third edition people, you know, stop getting the free thing off the internet, which is fine. But buy yourself a freaking third edition copy with you know all of John's latest, and and you know, use that you'll, for God's yeah, sake. Yeah, you'll get the updated information. Yeah, yep. um, the oh, darn train left. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with all the cretins on it. Yeah. Now I was going to say the, secondary. We're talking secondary. And yes, the, thank you. And and, um, and the transfer myth. Yeah, transfer. Myth. Yeah, the as we've uh, you know gotten more educated on how much you know good healthy yeast you need for an optimum fermentation. The the advice that we used to give ten years ago has changed. Um, you know. Ten years ago, twenty years ago, 
uh, home brewers were brewing with a single packet of dry yeast that was taped to the top of the can, or you know there weren't there weren't as many liquid yeast cultures available, and uh, the, people didn't make starters either. Yeah, people didn't make starters. So you know the, the whole the whole health and vitality of yeast was different mm-hmm. then as mm-hmm. it is to now. Yep. So back then it made sense. You know you've got weaker yeast mm-hmm. in for, you know that have finished a fermentation. Yeah. that were more susceptible to autolysis mm-hmm. and breaking down. Now, that is not the case. And, and, and really, it's not it, – it, where homebrewer, the, the, the general – the bar on homebrewing has risen to where we are able to make beer that has the same um, robustness as professional beer right i mean we you know it's it's we've gotten our techniques and our understanding of what makes a good fermentation up to that level so well, you don't you don't need to transfer the beer off the yeast mm-hmm. to prevent autolysis like you we used to recommend unless you're going to do long term at warm temperatures and you know yeah. even then we're talking you know over a month uh, you know the, i thought about this as well and i i think one of the reasons you know autolysis as you mentioned uh and um uh also the fact that uh you know a lot of times you know people were using weak yeast in inappropriate amounts and yeah. the transfer would add some oxygen to it and would help attenuate right. a few more points and you know uh I, I i think that was that was part of the deal why why secondary uh a transfer to another vessel was uh considered uh you know an appropriate act back you know back years ago yeah so but you know these days we don't recommend secondary transfer um Mm -hmm. leave it in the primary uh you know a month you know i mean it did the today's fermentations are typically healthy enough that you're not going to get autolysis flavors or or off flavors due to leaving the yeast uh, leaving the beer on the yeast for an extended period of time. Well, if if you're yeah, if you're starting with healthy yeast, an appropriate amount, and yep. you know the the thing is, um, you know, homebrew style fermenters. If you're using a carboy plastic bucket, you know, something like that, it's got that broad, shallow, uh, or that broad Cross-section. base. Yeah. When the yeast flocculate out, they lay in a in a nice thin layer. And, you know, when when you're dealing in, in large, tall, one of these things, you know, people go, well, you know, the commercial brewers, they remove the yeast because, you know, it's right. going to break down, it's going to die, it's going to make the beer bad. You know, we should be doing the same thing. You know, that's where a lot of this comes from as well. Well, you know, the commercial brewers are, are, are working with, you know, 100-barrel fermenters that are very tall, put a lot of pressure on the yeast. The yeast are jammed down into this little cone in the bottom. Mm-hmm. And they're stacked very deep, and generate static pressure. And, and and the yeast also there's a lot of heat buildup. the The core of that heat mass, that yeast mass, can be you know several degrees C higher than the rest of the yeast mass, and it can cook the yeast and actually cook the yeast, cause them to die faster, and cause those problems with flavor. And within a couple of days, 
uh, also the vi- the viability of that yeast, which the those commercial brewers will reuse, it's going to drop just you know twenty five percent, fifty percent over just a couple of days. So they need to get that yeast out of there. You don't have that restriction as a home brewer. You've right. got these broad, shallow fermenters, or you know, broad fermenter bases that allow the yeast to be distributed evenly. Uh, you know, it's an advantage for cleaning up the beer. It's an advantage in that the yeast don't break down as fast. Uh, you don't have as, as high a head pressure on that thing. You don't have all this other hydrostatic pressure. It's, you know, there's a lot of advantages. Um, we're kind of getting off the track here, but, but it's but, important, I think, to cover this, to understand yeah. why, you know, you want to wait for the beer to finish fermenting before you do something and, and, and take action. Right. Um, a, a question is, you know, what is green beer, you know? Well, green beer is beer that's you know really not done fermenting. I mean, the, we in previous shows, Jamil, we talked about you know what is what is the fermentation process. You know, you got the lag phase, you got the right. log, you know the logarithmic phase, and then you got a conditioning phase. Mm-hmm. And at the end of fermentation, well, all you know, really kind of all through, but more so towards the end, um, the yeast are reabsorbing diacetyl, acetaldehyde. Mm-hmm. Um, they're esterifying uh, some fusel alcohols to some extent. Mm-hmm. You know, the yeasts clean up the beer towards mm-hmm. the end of fermentation. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if you if you drank a beer, a uh, homebrew that's full of yeast, you know, it doesn't taste the same as uh, a, you know a beer a homebrew without a lot of yeast suspended in it. Right. You know, so all of the, all of these factors are you know, are, are things you want to avoid, mm-hmm. you know, w- when it comes to bottling. I mean, uh, typically when I used to bottle a lot, I would I would leave the the beer in the primary fer- fermenter until I saw that beer start to clear. And, you know, fermentation's been done. It is now, you know, three weeks after I pitched the yeast and it's, you know, done – the, the the yeast cake from the top has fallen back in. There was no yeast cake on top. But the beer was still, you know, cloudy with suspended yeast. And after a while, I would see that beer darken as the yeast settled out. Mm-hmm. The beer, you know, the, the color of the beer would seem to darken because you don't have the white yeast suspended in it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I would tend to to transfer to my bottling bucket and prime mm-hmm. and bottle. And I would end up with a very thin yeast layer on the bottom of my, of my bottles, which made, you know, actually serving the beer a lot easier. Right. Um, and it also gave time for all those conditioning processes to finish. Right. Because if you can see yeast in your beer... Then it's it's mo- way more yeast than you need to uh, for bottling. So oh, yeah. uh, during uh, our previous show, we were talking about uh, uh, just briefly about yeast densities and, and estimating yeast densities. If you can see yeast, if the difference between you know pure water with no yeast in it, and when you can just see that there's something suspended in the water where it just starts to seem like it's slightly turbid, that's a million cells per milliliter, which is the um, uh, appropriate amount for bottling uh, amount of yeast. Like Sierra Nevada, they filter their yeast out. That's what the amount of yeast they add back. Um, well, and I, I think you bring up another excellent point, which is uh, the, the green beer. 
Um, yeah. You know, one of the nice things about these broad fermenters that we use for homebrew, these buckets and, and carboys, is that uh, you know that nice broad surface of yeast actually is still active, still absorbing. Um, you know, these compounds and, and active, the yeast in suspension are, but that yeast surface on the bottom actually does take take a role in it. Mm-hmm. And people go, no, 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 it's completely dormant. It's not doing anything. I, I, I really don't think that's true. You know, one of the reasons that uh, Anheuser-Busch uses the beechwood uh, chips is that, you know, the the very fine fibers that are sticking up in the rough surface of the, the wood chips that are in there, uh, is surface area for yeast. So the yeast settle out onto these things, and it helps condition the beer. It helps mm-hmm. actually clean, make for a cleaner, uh, you know, better-tasting lager. That's why they do it. It's not for oak flavor or for beech flavor in the beer. Yeah, yeah. It is for the yeast to have surface area, to, to provide a super massive yeast surface area uh, that is, you know, absorbing these compounds or, you know, reducing these compounds into less flavor-active compounds, you know, or, or more more flavor-friendly compounds. Mm-hmm. So the same thing kind of happens in a homebrew fermenter with that broad surface of yeast. So, you know, don't freak out about that. It actually, you know, and that's why I give it a, a, a day or two after I see all of fermentation activity has ended. Ah, okay, let me give it a day or two to, to finish really, you know, reducing these compounds. Then the beer's ready to package. Yeah. There's... And and you you can you can bottle, you know, right after that, after you know, the yeast cake has kind of settled out and the beer may still be turbid with yeast. You can bottle then, but it certainly doesn't hurt to wait till the weekend, you know, and let more of that yeast settle yeast mass settle out of the beer. So it starts to look clearer. You yeah. see that color change. And uh, you know, if you're really timid and figure that uh you know, there's not enough yeast. You could always siphon a little bit of yeast off the bottom, right? To mix back in. If it's yeah. been a real long time, that's probably mm-hmm. a good idea, right, John? Uh, oh yeah. I've yeah. waited a month. I I was out of town. I couldn't get it done. I had a yeah. baby. Uh, you know, friend came in from out of town. I ran out of gas and had a flat tire. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, go ahead and, and, and siphon a little bit of yeast off the bottom. So. All right, so I, I think we covered fairly well, you know, what point the beer is ready to, to, to transfer and to, to be, uh, you know, packaged. Um, and we're going to take our time on this. I mean, we're, I've, uh, we've got open-ended number of shows to get this done. I want to make yeah. sure we're really covering this topic fully so so we uh, know what we're doing here. So people have all their questions answered because we get so many questions on this, like water. Yeah. Water took five shows, and I still don't think we we should have done ten. <laughs> yeah. So the but, uh, the package gasm is going to take us however many shows required. Uh, all right. So transfer. Well, yeah, transfer. So the beer's done. Now we need to transfer this to because we're our first thing we're talking about is um, bottling bucket. We're gonna we're we're talking bottling typically with bottling bucket bottling with uh, priming sugar. For natural carbonation, that's the first thing we're going to cover. Because yeah. uh, otherwise, it's transfer a keg is, is a little different. All right, so I need to transfer the beer. Um, how do I do this? I I, I want to make this a smooth process. I don't want to. I don't want to contaminate. My biggest fear always is I don't want to contaminate the beer. 
I don't mm-hmm. want to oxidize the beer. I don't right. want to, uh, you know, somehow mess up the beer. That's, you know, how do I do this without messing up and making it easy on myself and not having a big headache of the whole thing? Yeah. Well, this, there, there, those are two really big issues when it comes to bottling is oxygen uh, contamination and bacterial contamination. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to transfer the beer, you know, to the bottle, your siphon has to be clean, has to be sanitized. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just make, I make it a practice to buy a new auto siphon every year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for those of you that don't know the difference between a, a regular racking cane and hose and an auto siphon, you don't have to suck on auto siphons. It's a little pump dealy. There's a little valve in the bottom. And you just stick it down in the beer, raise the inner tube, and push it back down, and that siphon goes. It's it's one of the greatest inventions ever. So you raise uh, and push, and then you don't have to suck. That's right. Yeah. And uh, as Sven knows, you don't want to suck. Um, <laughs> that's kind of – anyway. Anyway, uh, the – the auto siphon makes the whole uh, siphoning process a lot easier because you, you don't have to worry about contaminating uh, to get that siphon started. Other ways to start a siphon are to, you know, fill it with um, sanitized water, sanitized solution, and let that drain out into another container um, mm-hmm. as it pulls the beer through, and then you you know you transfer that to your bottle and bucket. But that's where you run into the oxygen problem, mm-hmm. you know. Putting, putting a fast siphoning uh, uh, beer into the bottom, the wide bottom of bottling bucket, lots of oxygen exposure. Um, you know, for, for a beginning home brewer where you don't have a handy CO2 tank to purge that bucket beforehand, um, you know, the best you can do is to tip that bucket a little on, on its edge and, you know, get some depth to that beer as fast as you can and submerge the end of the hose into the into the filling beer. So or into the you know, and you should have put your priming solution into the bucket ahead of time. Um, in this way you reduce the turbulence, you reduce the uh, surface area of the beer that you're you know exposing to the air, and you reduce the oxygen pickup at this point because uh, as Charlie Banforth told us in the oxidation shows and the and so on. The shelf life of the beer uh, is really dependent on oxygen exposure of packaging. Mm-hmm. You can do everything up ahead of that, and but it it really uh, as good a job as you can do in the brewing process itself. The big variable for shelf life is oxygen exposure of packaging. You know, I yeah, uh, I, I I agree with you in in all Theory. all that you've said. Okay, but um, I I wouldn't want people to get so panicked about oxygen that they forget that the more important thing is exposure to contamination, bacteria, wild yeast, you know, for long term storage. And and I would think, true, you know, flavor wise, okay. that's that's the bigger uh, uh, problem because you know so many people are used to drinking oxidized beer. That, yeah, no. that that most people don't notice it. Even, you know, BJCP judges don't, you know, they expect oxidized beer. So, you know, if I had to, my druthers, I'd, ideally you want to avoid both. 
but don't uh, avoid oxygen uh, for with the you know at an expense of uh, you know bacterial or or, or any other uh, non desired yeast contamination. Okay, yeah, that's a real good point. I mean, um, that's another thing BJCP judges get during competitions is uh, foaming bottles. You know, they crack the top, and all of a sudden you got a gusher mm-hmm. um, from due to wild yeast. So the the bacterial cleanliness of your siphon and your bottling bucket and the little valve on the bottling bucket that you use to fill from, right, you know, all right. of these are critical. Yep. Clean bottles. Um, you know, you, you Jamil, you know, you, we've talked about in the bottling for competition. Mm-hmm. Buy brand new clean bottles. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, reuse some bottle that you've had sitting in the garage for a year. Yeah. Um, you know, reduce your reduce the risk of bacterial can- contamination. And you know, I'm a big recycling guy, and the ultimate recycling is reusing a container. You know, yeah. not not to just you know turn in for recycling, but reuse it as many times as you can. And you know, glass being you know fairly strong, and as long as you don't heat cycle it too many times, it's it's fine. But boy, you really need to be very very careful how you clean that. You need to make sure that you know you're using the PBW and you. Thoroughly clean those things to to be spotless before you package your beer in it because you'll you'll end up with uh, you know and uh, you know use a good sanitizer uh, you know just throwing them in the oven at uh, you know two fifty for a couple hours does not sterilize the bottle uh, it takes a, a higher heat and a longer time in order to do that and that's yeah. just you're you're throwing away beer if I think if you if you don't do that yeah and uh, you know. More to the point, you know, um, your plastics, you know, the the vinyl hoses that you use on siphons, the vinyl hose that you may use off the bottling bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, these every year, yeah, replace twice a year, every so many batches. Just yeah. buy buy a big spool, get it in bulk. It's cheap. Yep. Ask your homebrew shop to sell you a spool for cheap. You know, and. Uh, you know, buy it. You know, give you a discount on a spool size uh, order, and uh, you know, snap yourself off a nice fresh piece every every few. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like you, Justin? Like snap yourself off a nice fresh piece. I like that for a nice fresh piece. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's I I live my life by those by those words. That's my motto. I snap yourself off a nice fresh piece. I'm gonna change that to my motto too, if you don't mind. <laughs> I like it. It's. It's. So, I think. I think we need shirts. It's a way to live. Snap yourself hey, off a, a nice, nice fresh, fresh piece, piece. <laughs> Bruce Strong. <Trump. laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. That's, that's, that's going to be a good, a good, a good seller. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's take it. Let's take a short break and let's let's get right back into transferring after we're done. Uh, back after these few brief words. Do you support the Brewing Network? Do you brew your own? Are you looking for any economical, fun, and legal way to do both? Subscribe to Brew Your Own magazine and do just that. All year long, Brew Your Own will surprise you, entertain you, and educate you with articles on beer and brewing from authors like the Brewing Network's very own Jamel Zedeshev and John Palmer. Each issue is a full pint of brewing techniques, homebrew stories, tips and photos, projects to make yourself, and recipes for the avid home brewer. Get your tough questions answered by Mr. Wizard and polish your style accuracy with Jamil. 
A portion of every subscription goes to the Brewing Network, so subscribe today at byo.com slash brewing network, or just click the BYO logo on the Brewing Network homepage and support a fantastic hobby and your favorite broadcaster. Brew your own, the how-to homebrew beer magazine. Hey, what are you doing, man? Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. What? Ah. Uh, Mother White Labs. It's all in the vial. Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmasters Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmasters database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmasters Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. Brewmasters Warehouse and the Brew Builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BN Army in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. BN Army members, are you looking for a discount on hops? Keep listening. Nico's Homebrew Supply at nicobrew.com has hops by the ounce and by the pound. Choose from varieties like Amarillo, Centennial, East Kent Goldings, Hollertower, Simcoe, Summit, Tomahawk, Warrior, Willamette, and more. And adding new varieties all the time, many for less than 20 bucks a pound. Whether a couple ounces at a time or an 11-pound bag, all hops are shipped vacuum-sealed and frozen straight to you. Nico's Homebrew Supply offers store-wide $5 flat-rate shipping and won't waste your money on unnecessary overhead or advertising. They're going bare bones and passing the savings on to you. The staff at Nico's Homebrew Supply loves to brew and is committed to keeping homebrewing affordable and accessible to anyone who wants to join in this great hobby. And for a limited time, use coupon code BNARMY at checkout for a Brewing Network discount. Visit NicoBrew.com. That's N-I-K-O Brew.com for your hops and more. NicoBrew.com, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Finn. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. The new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. 
Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kettles, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The The more beer beer deal deal of the day. day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the more beer deal of the day at morebeer.com. Celebrity voices impersonated. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're enjoying yes, our uh, package package gasm. And uh, all right, so we're we're transferring beer to the bucket, and you're saying tip the bucket on edge, so uh, the bottling bucket, so you you uh, are getting depth quickly. And did you say uh, flush the headspace with uh, some CO two? Yeah, I mean if you've got if you got CO two, uh-huh. uh, it it helps to flush the headspace. I mean, okay. Anything, anything you can do to minimize oxygenation of or oxygen exposure at packaging mm-hmm. will prolong the, the the shelf life of the beer. Right. Well, you know, and uh, if your your beer is at you know any reasonable temperature, uh, you know, when you transfer it, some CO two is in solution and it's a little bit supersaturated, and it will come out of solution and right. maybe provide a little bit of protection, but. Uh, uh, I guess yeah. If you could you know, squirt a little CO two into there, uh, you know, one of those little bike uh, CO two uh, tire inflators, uh, you know, yeah. uh, a little bit uh, definitely. Yeah, it it's a nice to have. It's not a it's not a have to have because mm-hmm. um, the yeast will uh, yeah. take up some of that uh, that oxygen, won't they? Yeah, they will. They take they take up a portion of it, and uh, you know, for the for the the priming. Uh, carbonation fermentation aspect you know they will take us take up some of the yeast i mean some of the oxygen that in the headspace of the bottle mm-hmm. and uh, oxygen that is exposed to during the transfer to the bottling bucket mm-hmm. but um as you're as you're saying jamil i mean you know bacterial contamination is a is a much more serious threat than worrying about long-term you know, staling of the beer. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to, you know, lay out, you know, uh, all the recommendations that we would have mm-hmm. when you're bottling. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, cleanliness is is really the first priority. Uh, oxygen exposure is a secondary priority. Mm-hmm. So cleanliness is next to godliness, and oxygen exposure is next to uh, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody fill in the blank. All right, now, yeah. now, now one more one more question. All right, so so we're going to transfer this bucket, and we've calculated out our our priming sugar uh, ah, for the bucket. Uh, how did you do that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> how 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 do we do that? I mean, how much how much sugar do I need? Does it it depends on so many things, right? Because you need to take into account how much CO two is already in the beer, and different temperatures, yep. different. Uh, I don't know. Different altitudes probably has an effect. Um, yeah, that's right. You know, uh, makes makes some difference on uh, 
on the CO2 content of the beer, existing CO2 content, and then uh, we're trying to build more CO2 content. But you have to take that existing part into account, right? Yeah, you do. I mean, if you want to get really technical about about um, carbonation level, you know, you're entering you're entering this beer in, at nationals, and you're lo- you're looking for a ribbon with a bottle conditioned beer. Um, yeah, you'd want to be really technical and try to and calculate the amount of carbonation in the bottle as best you can. And that's going to depend on the atmospheric pressure that the beer is at when you when you bottle it, the temperature of the beer. Uh, all this is going to affect the amount of dissolved carbon dioxide in the beer uh, at the time of bottling. And then you would adjust um, the amount of priming sugar you add to that uh, level to get your target carbonation in the bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would that's, think that's that's going pretty far, right? I, well, and I would think. Let me interrupt you here. Sure. I, I would think that you know the there's a lot of environmental factors, but you know most of those are a constant. Like you know your altitude, you know atmospheric pressure, things like that are are fairly consistent. Uh, barometric pressure is changing, but you know. Um, yeah. The 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 things you really want to focus on are the temperature of the beer and the style of the beer. What 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 yeah. uh, uh, number of volumes you want to get to? Those two things are probably your your real focus, right? Right, right. Yeah. So you know, to take a step back, look at a little bigger picture. You know, um, there are uh, priming sugar calculators such as in how to brew or brewing classic styles um, and out elsewhere out on the web you know um, beer tools and uh, pro mash and so on that are designed to help you calculate how much priming sugar to add um, typically this is corn sugar um, different sugars contribute uh, different amounts of carbonation you know per on a weight basis um, and I don't know, maybe if, if everybody were to turn to page 111 in their how to brew books, um, there's a chart there that shows the, the contributions from different kinds of sugar and the, you can, you can prime with, uh, any fermentable sugar. The thing to realize is there's, there's two factors and determine how much carbonation you get from any one sugar. One is the uh, percent of moisture in the sugar, um, and the other is the degree of fermentability of that sugar. So, for instance, everybody you know typically primes with corn sugar in the United States. Um, it's you know totally glucose. It's a very simple sugar, um, and the Typical recommendation is three quarters cup. Well, if you if you weigh that if you if you weigh that out accurately um, and average it over several weighings, that's usually about four ounces um, by weight, or uh, 114, 115 grams of of corn sugar for a typical five gallon batch. Looking for a typical two volumes of CO two, I think. Um, and corn sugar is 8% moisture or 92% sugar, 8% water. And, uh, so you get about, if you, if you, um, compare that to cane sugar, which doesn't absorb water, 
um, you uh, need more corn sugar than you do cane sugar to get the same amount of carbonation out of it. You with me so far, Jamil? Yes, I am. Okay, good. Um, the the cane sugar uh, doesn't absorb water, and uh, you need roughly 3.7 ounces or 105 grams, 104 grams, of cane sugar for five gallons versus the uh, four ounces or 114 grams of corn sugar. All right, so uh, I'm with you, but let me let me interrupt here. So um, the reason why measuring by weight versus volume then is, uh, if I'm following you, is that when you're measuring by weight, cane sugar doesn't absorb a lot of water, so weight is pretty consistent. Yeah, or cane volume is consistent with vo- with uh, well, it's more consistent with. Uh, by weight, com- yeah, since it doesn't absorb water, whereas volume is less consistent because packing the the these are crystals. If you mm-hmm. look at them under a microscope, they're like little little cubes or whatever, right? And yeah. and if you tap a container, a vibrate a container of, of of sugar, you'll see the the level will just drop. I mean, if you pour right. loosely pour uh, you know some sugar into a cup, it, it'll fill it up. And then you put on a like a shaker, it'll just drop, and you'll see a, a substantial drop in the volume of sugar you have there. Right. It makes volume very inaccurate because the little cubes line up, and then all of a sudden they take up less space, and right. you have a huge difference in the amount of sugar. That's why a scoop of sugar uh, in your three quarter cup is not that accurate, and that's why you you are better off by weight when you're doing. Uh, you know, other sugars, you know, humidity may play a bigger role, mm-hmm. but uh, I guess you're saying, I, I didn't know this about cane sugar, but it doesn't absorb a whole lot of moisture. Right. So uh, that would make weight much more accurate. Right. The yeah, That's that's the key is um, if you weigh by weight, you've got to be aware that of what how much water typically is in the sugar, mm-hmm. you know, 8% for corn sugar. But it can absorb more, mm-hmm. and you know if you ta- if you're trying to prime with corn sugar that is in clumps, you know, and is not in a free flowing powder. Mm-hmm. Well, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot more moisture tied up in that in that sugar, mm-hmm. and you're going to get less carbonation out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, uh, the sugar used for priming, we should get it on a dry day. <laughs> It helps, and store yeah. it in a sealed container and not leave it, it open often? If you're trying to be super accurate on your mm-hmm. carbonation levels, then yes. Right. It doesn't hurt to, to take those precautions, would it? I mean, you right. know, it's, it's pretty easy to do. A sealed container. Don't leave mm-hmm. it open in the bag. Right. And then, you know, when doing this yeast book, it's not something I knew, but uh, Chris White, you know, he pulled a lot of research for this uh, for this book. And he uh, gave me a piece of research on um, uh, the flavors of priming sugars and the differences that they made in the beer. And and the essential recommendation was just always use cane sugar, I think. Oh. And I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It's certainly know. cane sugar is a lot more readily available um, and, than corn sugar. And very consistent. 
You yeah. know, if you're getting, you can use DME or something like that. The problem is, I think you you can get different sources and you can end up with different uh, results. Mm-hmm. That's right. There's in, in Table 13 and How to Brew. There's a comparison of corn sugar, cane sugar, brown sugar, uh, candy sugar, Lyle's golden syrup, maple syrup, honey, mm-hmm. uh, dry malt extract. You know. For, so if you, as the brewer, are trying to get a certain level of carbonation, um, this table will help you equate, you know, roughly how much sugar to use compared to the standard recommendation of four ounces or three-quarter cup of, of corn sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you have a nomograph or something that will help me determine? Because, I, you know, yeah. I, again, I, I, we need to determine – how much CO2 is in the beer and how much CO2 I need to potentially add. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do I do that? Yeah. Well, I got a nomograph on page 113, and it's also available at howtobrew.com. And like I said, you know, various beer software uh, has this built in into a, you know, more uh, 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 user-friendly, you know, computer interface rather than a nomograph. Mm-hmm. But uh, what you do is you nomograph is pretty easy though. You yeah, hold a you just, ruler you, or a straight edge. Mm-hmm. Draw a line from the temperature of the beer. You don't even need to draw a line. You just hold it, line it up. Line. Yeah. <laughs> line it up and read the number. Yeah, but it, the way the nomograph works is you you lay out a line from the temperature of the beer mm-hmm. through the desired volumes of CO two that you want in the beer. Which you can get from, um, like, Brewing Classic Styles. Yep. For pretty much every beer style. Yep. Typically one and a half to two and a half volumes of CO2 for most beers. Mm -hmm. Um, British, you know, one and a half to two. German or American, two to two and a half, depending on style. Mm -hmm. And uh, then it'll read off, the, the nomograph will give you the weight of corn sugar or cane sugar that you need to provide that much carbonation Mm -hmm. now the nomograph is set up for five gallons Mm -hmm. so if you're going to make six gallons you know if you're carbonating six gallons of beer Mm -hmm. you've got to add six fifths more Mm -hmm. to that to the amount you read off the nomograph i mean it it does scale linearly Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you do need a ratio it but uh that's how it works okay very cool okay all right, so we've added the priming sugar, and then um, you know we're we're running out of time here on this on the subject. Do we want to cover you know whether we should add yeast or not, or should we we end it here and uh, you know well, let's touch on yeast. All right, all right. Yeah, um, we won't. We'll we'll save you know uh, force carbonating and and bottling from a keg. For yeah, we got show. as many shows as we need to get this done. Yeah. But you know, uh, when it comes to uh, bottle bottle carbonator and bottle conditioning, a uh, frequent ca- question is, you know, the the beer's been sitting, you know, in the in the fermenter for a month or two months. I, I had it without a town; I couldn't get to it, and uh, you know, it looks like the yeast is all settled out. Mm-hmm. Do I need to add more yeast? Well, it depends, but um, it, there's. Even in a even in a clear looking beer and a clear looking homebrew, there is still a lot of yeast in suspension unless that beer has been sitting at, 
you know, near 32 for a couple of months. You know, that will force more yeast out of suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people that are doing loggers and have been through a long lagering period, it really does help to add yeast to the to the priming solution. Uh, it went during bottling, mm-hmm. and uh, and it also helps for ales if it's been sitting on you know it's been settling for a long time. Mm-hmm. Adding more yeast doesn't help. Um, the amount of yeast you need to add is not that much. It's uh, you can either suck it up from the bottom of the fermenter as you're transferring, mm-hmm. um, or you can add a fresh smack pack or a fresh tube. You really only need. You know that tube's worth of yeast, um, or You're gonna, the fifth of that, right? So yeah. you need, uh, you know, one million cells per per milliliter, and in twenty liters of beer, you'd only need a fifth of a of a, a smack vial. pack or a, a vial or one of those propagator why yeast propagator packs. It's even too much there because you're you're between thirty and fifty billion, um, you know, but a billion cells per liter. So, you know, for dry yeast, you need a couple of grams or gram to a couple of grams, depending on the yeast, uh, will provide enough. The, you know, the, the, the thing, I, I get asked this question a lot, and, um, you know, the thing that I find uh, to be important is, you know, people say, well, you know, I've got a really high gravity brew. I've, I, mm, I listen yeah. to the Can You Brew It uh, uh, Dogfish 120 you know, show, and yeah. I want to car- naturally carbonate this. I'm like, well, you know, me, I'm lazy. I put it in a keg, I force carbonate it, and and there you go. Uh, but you know, do I need to add more yeast? Yes. Uh, chances are, you know, once you get up into the twenty some odd percent range of alcohol by volume, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's really just destroyed the yeast. It's gassed them there. You know, they yeah. it's toxic to the yeast. Um, so you're going to want to do a fresh pitch of yeast and along with your priming sugar and, you know, and, and go there. Yep, very true. Very true. Yeah, the yeast are, at that strong a beer, the yeast are full. They're not interested in fermenting anymore. Right. That You know, and, and just the stress of trying to keep the alcohol outside the cell. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't become kill the yeast cells themselves is you know uh, very um, taxing on the yeast. So that's yeah. that's one of the things you need to you need to watch out for as well. So you know that, and then I also get people go you know sour beers. Um, you know they're like, well, it's been six months, and I want to bottle this. Should I add more yeast? Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you yeah. definitely should. Uh, you know, and, and generally you need priming sugar and yeast, and, you know, you want a nice active yeast. So, um, you know, one thing you can do is make a, you know, make a small starter wort, just a real simple wort, um, or even, uh, you know, I, you know what I imagine, you, you generally we advise against using simple sugars, for propagating yeast because they become unable to ferment maltose very quickly. Right. You know, if you grow them in simple sugars, mm-hmm. they lose the enzyme that uh, will uh, ferment maltose. Um, but if you were to want to add yeast for priming, what do you think of this? Um, it'd be difficult to calculate the sugar, but you know, get your yeast and get them active using just table sugar. Right. Right in like a pint of liquid, or mm-hmm. even less, 
with table sugar and just enough yeast, you know, a million cells per milliliter, a billion per liter for your, your batch of beer. Mm-hmm. Add some simple sugars to like a specific gravity of, you know, 1030, 1040. Mm-hmm. And when the yeast start going crazy, dump that whole thing in. You probably need, you want to get it before they really started creating a lot of CO2 because that's what you really want. Right, you're looking to carbonate. But dump that whole thing in, maybe with a little bit extra sugar, uh-huh. and then bottle it up. I bet you you'd get great carbonation. Yeah, you know, would. it would and, be real fast, and uh, and you'd avoid a, you know you'd avoid the yeast really acting on the residual sugars you have in the beer. Right, right, right. And um, hmm. and they'd be sucking up any oxygen. They'd be nice and active and yep. scouring oxygen as as rapidly as they could. That, that might be. Something interesting to, to test out. Sounds mm. like a great idea. All right. All right. Are we, are we at a point we can wrap before we get to the, uh, the I, package gasm too? I think so. Any questions from the chat room? Or? We got a bunch. All right. Let's take a short break. When we come back, I'll have a beer. You'll have questions. And we'll all enjoy doing what we do. Back after this. When Blickman Engineering set out to design a great brewing stand, they knew it had to be strong, adaptable, and last for a lifetime. The top-tier brewing stand is now proudly available at BlickmanEngineering.com. It grows with your brewing skills and equipment. Start with 5-gallon coolers on its heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves. Then move all the way up to 30-gallon pots on the high-output burner tiers. Speaking of burners, the custom Blickman Engineering top-tier burners are extremely powerful, efficient, and amazingly quiet. They have safety stops to center your pot, and they'll last a lifetime and won't rust. The top-tier brewing stand allows virtually infinite combinations from traditional gravity systems to two tiers to completely horizontal. Configure your stand the way you want and have the freedom to change it at any time in the future. Your brewing stand should adapt with you, not force you to learn a new process. Visit BlickmanEngineering.com today to configure your top-tier brewing stand and to find a local Blickman retailer. You'll be surprised with all the flexible features and the competitive price. Start brewing with Blickman from the top tier. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until the next meeting. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew Free or Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. 
Or check out our unique fermenters, two and a half gallon kegs, paintball tank based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to WilliamsBrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's WilliamsBrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific Time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. Hey, BNers, Brewcaster Jay here. Are you tired of hearing about great beer here in the Brewing Network that you can't get at your local bottle shop? Well, we do interviews from all over the world, and we want to taste those beers, too. Finally, there's a place to turn for great beers from the other coast and beyond. Brewforia.com. Brewforia has an incredible selection of amazing beer, and they're adding more all the time. From breweries big and small, craft beer, imported beer, organic, and even gluten-free, you're going to love all the choices. When the brewcasters can't find an upcoming guest beer, we turn to Brewforia, and you should too. Just check the Brewing Network for the upcoming guest schedule and head to Brewforia.com for their beer. The great guys at Brewforia will even include free beer for you with qualifying orders. Free beer, BN Army. You know we like that. Visit our favorite online bottle shop today at B-R-E-W-F-O-R-I-A.com. That's Brewforia.com. Brewforia. When you can't get it, they can. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're talking package gasm. Uh, how to bottle and how to keg your beer. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's, there's just so much, so much a little detail to cover that I think, you know, this is going to require multiple shows. So yep. we're cutting it off here and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pick back up in the, uh, in, in a subsequent show about, uh, you know, uh, priming rates and, and adding yeast and, and, and getting into the bottle and, uh, you know, doing tip- it with a bottle part two, <laughs> doing it with a bottle part two and, uh, you know, uh, tips and techniques. I think people want to hear, uh, from you, uh, uh, Northeast on, uh, on, uh, how you, uh, you know, make it easy. Yep. Okay. <laughs> He's wondering about the Northeast. Oh, any, yeah. oh, I get it. All right. Uh, but right now we got some uh, questions in the chat room specifically about this topic. But if you're listening, uh, you know, you can jump right in to the chat room. You go over to thebrewnetwork.com. There's a chat now button. You know, click on that. It'll get you in. There's no password required or anything. It'll, it'll say password, but you, you don't need that. Just type in any name you want. You can be anonymous. Just type in gobbledygook. It'll get you in there. And you can ask questions directly of us in the upcoming show, which is our live Q&A show. And uh, anything about uh, brewing beer or drinking beer or beer or, well, anything you want to ask, that's fine. We'll, we'll cover it. All right. So uh, what we got in the chat uh, today, Justin? A lot of questions came through. I'll try to keep them. I'm going to try to narrow it down to ones that you definitely covered already since we're going to split up this topic a little right. bit. Right. If it's, if it's something, you know, about uh, anything going forward then uh you know we'll get those in the, the following shows so how about uh some uh, how about an auto siphon question about siphoning uh and this is something that i've always been curious about too uh evan is in the chat room he says i get a lot of air bubbles going through the hose and it seems to come from the seal inside the tube he says uh uh-huh. is there a way to prime the gasket between the cane and the tube to prevent this he says i've got multiple auto siphons and every one of them does it and so does mine and you get that little bubble spot right at the top 
um, yeah, these- it, it, where it, where the the cane part connects to the hose itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what I do is get a a smaller vinyl hose, and um, then I guess what they're maybe they typically you know ship with. Hmm. Um, and I'll heat up the end of that vinyl hose in you know boiling water, so it gets real soft, and I'll slip that on, and um, that makes a much tighter fit than the 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 nominal size the ones you can slide on when it's cold uh, if you go to the next size smaller it makes a much tighter seal and you don't get any air I, I don't get any air in mine so could, you could maybe do the same with like a clamp then too right sounds like yeah, it, just, it really just needs to be tight fitting clamps a little more painful yeah it does <laughs> the yeah. ratcheting effect of the clamp plus it's extra Right, merchandise. Yeah. Right, right. But if you if you if you rock that way and you like the the, the look of the stainless clamp, <laughs> yeah, you, you can do that. And but, you like uh, to be able to really kind of ra- ratchet really it down, really ratchet it down till like nothing comes out. <laughs> yeah, th- that works. That works great. Okay. Well, and you know the interesting thing is, yeah, I start off with the auto siphon. I think uh, you know my local homebrew shop, uh, More Beer, uh, set me up with the auto siphon and said, you know, this is the thing that everybody uses, and you know, a racking cane, all that. I've tried racking canes and auto siphon. I'm such a freaking doofus that I can't get it, get it to work. I'm just like incapable of using anything other than just a piece of vinyl tubing. So I just use a piece of I snap myself off a fresh piece of tubing and uh and I I use that and I use a like a turkey baster to start the tubing so I don't have to suck on it and um yeah, I use that. And but do you realize what you're saying, Jamil? <laughs> that there is something that Justin can do better than you. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Impossible. But, 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 uh, yeah, I, I, I just cannot, I cannot make it work. I'm just like Evan's clarifying a little bit. He I, says it's you know, it's not happening at the hose connection. He said it's happening inside the tube. There's a rubber gasket between the cane and the tube oh, yeah. on his auto siphon. You know, but if it's down in the beer and it's all filled with beer yeah. and you see bubbles appearing, it's CO2. Okay. It's not it's yeah. not air, it's not oxygen, it's CO2 coming out of solution. You're pulling hey, anytime you have a uh, a liquid that's filled with a gas, right? And so you have a liquid. It naturally fills with gases, right? The gases make their way in there magically and they reach a, an equilibrium with your surrounding atmosphere. Okay, and when you do fermentation, there's a lot of CO2, and if it's very still, the CO2 doesn't, it's working its way out, but there's still quite a bit of CO2 in the beer, right? Right. When you pull on that beer and you create a vacuum, and when you lower the partial pressure of, you know, against that liquid, the the gases will come out of suspension will come out of the come out of the, the the liquid and will form bubbles okay and so that's what's happening you'll you'll see co2 bubbles form yeah uh, anytime you, you you're pulling on it and you're you're creating a vacuum and the, the gases just automatically come out and they'll come out instantly okay all right uh, another question that guy in the chat room uh he wants to know what you think about uh Getting the beer off the yeast to lager for an extended period of time. Um, he says, is that a, a conditioning step or, or, or a packaging step when you, you take beer off of the yeast? Well, you know, um, 
All right, so you've waited for fermentation to complete. You see no signs of fermentation. You've given it a couple extra days. There's still a bunch of yeast in there. Okay, mm-hmm. at that point, I transfer to a a keg, a corny keg, and I put it in my fridge for serving. And I start carbonating. Uh, you know, conditioning of beer is really not necessarily yeast driven. I know there's some, you know, there's conditioning where the yeast are reducing acetaldehyde to acetal, things like that. Yeah. That's part of it. Well, but, you know, when you go really cold, uh, you know, people talk about like lagering at, you know, 32 degrees and all that. Yeah. The, the yeast become far less active. It's not really a yeast thing. It's like, you know, fine particulates dropping out. It's, you know, other actions. It's not really a whole, you know, really active yeast thing. I mean, there yeah. is some effect there, but. Well, I, th- I think to, to clarify a little bit more, um, lagering is not necessarily a yeast function. It is a clarification function. Conditioning, and I think conditioning a beer, we're usually talking about a yeast-related function, mm-hmm. um, as See, opposed that's why to why we got Palmer on this show right here. <laughs> so, uh, lagering is more of uh, is more of a physical process where you're you're working on clarifying the beer, the beer, getting tannins, uh, polyphenols, uh, and yeast to settle out and clarify the beer. Um, the 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 conditioning and all the yeast processes. To turn that from a green beer into a beer that's more ready to serve, all of that happens up at the warm end, you mm-hmm. know, at fermentation temperatures. Um, if and especially if you do a diacetyl rest, a diacetyl rest is really a conditioning rest mm-hmm. where you're raising the temperature to get the yeast more active to cl- to condition the beer mm-hmm. to to eat up the byproducts. Right. I've always said that if if you really what you want to do is reduce diacetyl and things like that. You know, it happens much faster if you warm the beer up and make the year more, yeast more active. Right. And, right. and I think there's some overlap. You know, a little bit of one happens at, you know, the colder and a little bit of the other happens when it's warmer. And, you know, right. th- th- there is all of that. But, you know, g- g- in general, I think, you know, what, what you're saying, John, is, uh, you know, 100% correct. It's, you know, conditioning is... You know that that reduction of those compounds happens warmer and better. It happens quicker, warmer, and you know settling happens. You know in, in these. Uh, you know is really what we're talking about the long, the cold uh, lagering period. Right. So, the yeah, so that's where his question is kind of you got to kind of um, step back and take a look at it from another direction. Is we're we want to have these conditioning processes done before we lager. Really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the lager, as you say, the way you lager a beer is you let it finish fermentation, and then you stick it in the corny keg and put it in the fridge and carbonate it, because really all you're concerned about at this point is is clarification, settling, you know, chilling it, settling the yeast out, settling the tannins out, settling excess protein out for clarity, and to clean up the flavor of that beer, you know, and uh, and the conditioning has all happened, you know, earlier. Okay. All right, how about a couple capping questions? Get into that? Uh, I don't know anything about capping. You do them quick. Um, sure. 
So Maxwell in the chat room says that he's heard from some folks recommending to wait a little while between the time that you place the cap mm-hmm. on top of your bottle oh, of beer and the time yeah, that right, you, and right, the right. time that you crimp it. Mm-hmm. So he wants to know, you know, if that's accurate to wait, how long should I be waiting, and is this purging oxygen from the headspace? It is purging oxygen from the headspace because, you know, the transfer of beer into the bottle, it tends to uh, make CO2 evolve out of the beer, and you see a little bit of sparkling at the surface of the beer. That's CO2 coming out, right? And it's going to flush any oxygen out of there. You, you place the cap on, and the cap kind of trembles a little bit. That's CO2 coming out, and it's pushed all the oxygen out, and then you cap it. And I think that's that's pretty reasonable as long as you've got the co2 to handle it mm-hmm. i wouldn't leave it for a long time and end up with like a you know uncarbonated beer but yeah and our oxygen diffusing back in because it will do that too right yeah once that stops then yeah the oxygen's just going right back in um uh, you know i don't think it's that critical i'm i'm really um you know, as far as oxygen goes i don't i don't give a crap it's like just jam it in the bottle and yeah. You know, cap they, on foam is a good is a good technique, and it's a, it's, it's a good right. It seems like if you're capping on foam, the time that it takes you to reach over and grab your capper and crimp it, it's pretty enough, much already is, done. It's yeah. probably enough yeah. time, right? Yeah, oh, okay. you know, some people will um, fill a bottle, put a cap on it, then they'll fill the next bottle, put a cap on it, you know, and seal that the first beer, and then fill a bottle, put a cap on it, seal the second beer. You know, so they're like one bottle behind. And they let it sit for the time it takes to fill the bottle and put a cap on it. Okay. So it's you know it's just like a process thing. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I I think the yeast will suck up most of the oxygen really fast. And you know, again, uh, if if you store it cold, you know, oxygen isn't that big a big a deal either. It, you know, it just. It, 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 it takes real abuse for that oxygen to really show up or a real long storage or real abuse. And if you're storing your beer warm, then you really need to focus on this. If you're storing your beer cold and you're drinking yeah. it within a couple of months, then it's meaningless. So no worries. Don't, don't even think about it. Worry okay. more about bacteria and all that. Well, so here's an, kind of a, a similar question. Uh, Thomas Franson has two kegs uh, with barley wine in them aging. Says he plans to bottle both kegs, and was thinking about sealing the caps with wax. Mm-hmm. Will that give his barley wine a better shelf life? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, I I would say yes as well. The the one thing that that concerns me is I don't know the oxygen permeability of wax. That's the only thing. You know, in theory, I think. Oh yeah, sure. Oh, that that makes sense. And yeah. and Charlie Papazian's a big big uh, proponent of this and i would i would think if you dip them in wax it'll seal it you know and they use wax for cheeses mm-hmm. so i'm thinking yeah it must reduce oxygen but then maybe not i mean why you know the, i'd say the opposite i thought you kind of want some oxygen in your cheese maybe that's why they right, use wax I, well you know it, well i think it it um it, maybe it just seals in moisture and yeah. allows oxygen in right. i don't really know how you know? And I thought Palmer would know how much oxygen various waxes allow. Um, you don't have a wax oxygen chart handy. I, I don't. I'll have to whip one up by next show. Well, that's my question for the next show. I'm I'm calling in. Yeah, I want <laughs> wax oxygen permeability. 
because that's that's the the thing. Otherwise, I mean, wrap it in you know Saran wrap or something, or you know one of these wraps that's uh you know oxygen proof, and twist it at the top, and that's probably better than than wax. It's probably a lot easier too. Yeah, and but go back to Charlie Bamforth again. You know, well, I was trying the, the papers, you know, I was talking about on the uh, the wax, but right, yeah, Bamforth uh, says the same thing. Well, no, I was, I was going back. I mean, I agree with you on Charlie and, and the use of wax as is, is a, mm-hmm. is a good way to improve shelf life. But if you go back to the beer oxidation shows with Charlie Bamforth, what he, you know, he points out that uh, temperature is the is the mm-hmm. is the prime control yep. there. Yep. You know, store your so, beer cold. Yep. Exactly. For God's sakes, I've stored beer for you know ten years. And you know, uh, mid to thirties, and as sloppy ass as a brewer as, as I was back then, uh, there's no oxidation. Yeah, you know, I've I've given them to some of the best palates that 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 I know, and these people can pick up oxidation when they, you know, feel the bottle near them. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, you know, when did you brew this? You know, last week. You know, they're they're shocked. Okay. So you know, cold, uh, you know, pay attention and cold, and I think that that you know, oxy caps, good crimping. If you've used your crimper for uh, your, you're using the your uh, your what do they call those crimpers? Uh, Hand crimpers, or yeah, they they have a name for them. Some woman's name for a uh, little two handled. Yeah, I don't know it. I didn't know it had a name. Oh yeah, it's got a woman's Bevo name. crimper. The Bevo crimper. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you, you take this and you put it on. And you you crimp, no, um. <laughs> <laughs> the Jenny, the Jenny, yeah, the Jenny, and you put it on, um, uh, you know the uh, the little metal cup that's in there it wears out over time. Ah. So over a certain, you know, it's not like a, you know made of titanium here. So this pressed metal cup that's using to press down on these these caps, especially if you use a hard there's. <laughs> That's a whole other show. There's there's some caps that are really hard metal that okay. really take a lot of force, and there's some that are softer and easier. All sorts of different types of caps, um, and you know some will wear out your cup uh, quicker and easier than others. And you know once your cap's been used a certain amount of times, you you would think you should just go and buy another cap and screw it in there. They screw out, and you could screw a new, new one in. But um, uh, nobody's going to sell you just the cap. You have to buy a whole new capper. Okay. But, uh, you know, keep that in mind. And one thing you can do once you've crown capped that beer is uh, put in a a bucket of uh, water and shake the beer around and see if any gas comes out the the top of the beer. Emily capper. Emily capper. There you go. Thank you to Moby in the chat. Thank you. That's exactly Emily capper. There you go. Moby wins. And, uh, you know, but, you know, put it underwater. You know, keep the gas portion at the cap. Don't invert it because then you're not going to see any gas bubbles come out. Gas portion of the cap, shake it underwater and see if any bubbles come out. And you know if your capper is still working properly. And you should check, you know, every, uh, you know, every batch of beer, you know, check one or two bottles and see if any gas is coming out. All right. I'm going to save croissoning. And corking questions for the next one. Does yep. that sound right to you? Yeah. Uh, no. But maybe we could fit in one about counter-pressure bottle filling here? No. Save that for the next one, too? Yep. Okay. Then that's it from the chat. 
Because we're at like an hour and I know. 40 minutes. Well, on as long hour as you're going to cover counterpressure filling in the we next... Are. Okay, we good. are. Okay, good. Yeah. We absolutely are. And we want to get all this stuff in detail, and we really appreciate these questions. We appreciate you you joining the chat room. You know, you go to that, uh, you know, brewingnetwork.com and, and chat now. And, uh, you know, uh, we got a show coming up. Right now. Live Q&A, where we'll, we'll answer your questions. And we get so, that a lot, where, where people are asking me questions that are off topic during every show. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, sorry, but we, we really got to stay right. on focus. Because otherwise we'll never get done. Look out for these Q&A shows. They tend to be every third show. Yep. And that's when you can ask me anything under the sun about beer, and I'll, I'll put it in there. Right. Exactly. And, you know, while you're at the brewingnetwork.com, you know, check out the uh, the store there. Good stuff there. Lots of Brew Strong uh, gear that you can pick up. Shirts. Two kinds of shirts. A hat. I hear rumor they're going to have a, uh, a a thong that's going to have Brew Strong on it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, all sorts of good stuff. And they're, they, the bottom line is any profits from that keep this programming going. So, uh, you know, if you're paying 15 bucks for a shirt, uh, yeah, you know, a bunch of it went to manufacture the shirt, but anything that's left over goes to, you know, providing the show for you. So if you like this show, it's worth buying a shirt and, uh, you know, and supporting that bad boy at all your beer festivals and telling people about the show and about the Brewing Network. Uh, and that's really why we do it, because uh, we love you. We love you so much. And uh, also, if you get a chance... Brew your own. Uh, great magazine. You can uh, subscribe by clicking on the uh, big BYO logo image on the front page of the Brewing Network. Click on that. It takes you to the BYO page. You sign up for a subscription, and half, 50% of the freaking subscription goes to the Brewing Network. Very generous of Brew Your Own magazine. Uh, so sign up. I do a regular column in there every month, style profile. Palmer does uh, a bunch of Cajun stuff for Mark, them as yeah. well. I got and, an article uh, coming up article coming up on oats and uh it's good stuff it's it's really uh supportive of homebrew community and supportive of the brewing network so go sign up uh well worth doing until then brew strong brew strong everybody